work. You can be seated as Sandy and I tag team. <laughs> tag, my turn, okay, thanks. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm on, on the staff team here. It's my joy to be able to be with you and um, dive into a First Timothy. So if you got your Bibles and you haven't already found your way there, go ahead and find your way to First Timothy chapter 2. We're going to do some flipping back and forth between chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, actually starting a little bit in chapter 3. Well, heck, let's cover the whole entire book today and just be done with this series, right? Let's just keep on going. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, let's go ahead and just kind of introduce where we've been. In case you're, you're new, um, it's the first time that you've been a part of our church through this series. Or just as a recap, so we know where we're today, let's um, get a grasp of as far as what, what we're doing and where we're going. So 1 Timothy is a book in the New Testament that is known as a pastoral epistle. So it's all, um, other books known as pastoral epistles are also 2 Timothy and Titus. Uh, and, and those books read a little bit differently than the rest of than some of the other New Testament books. Um, the entire Bible is made up of 66 different books. That's both New Testament and Old Testament. And we would be foolish if we opened the Bible and tried to read every single book in the Bible exactly the same. And so if you picked up the book of Genesis and read it and you wanted to read a psalm in the very same way, you, you would miss the entire meaning. It would be confusing to you because one is historical, so you read it like a historical text, and one is poetry, so you read it like poetry. Things aren't literally going, uh, aren't happening in uh, in a lot of the Psalms. And so we read them very differently. And whenever we jump into the New Testament, it's the same as there's some historical writing, there's some gospel writings, there's epistles, and then there's pastoral epistles. And so the reason for a lot of the pastoral epistles or all the pastoral epistles is um, Paul, God through Paul is writing to church leaders, to pastors on how to lead their church, talking about very specific things. And we see that in First Timothy. We started a couple of weeks ago, and we're starting to see what God is saying to Timothy uh, to be aware of, and also encouragements for him and his church moving forward within the culture that they are living in. Fortunately for you and for me, there's some applicational points as well on what we take away from 1 Timothy, and we can apply to our day and age right here in 2018 as well. So God is very faithful in the way that he is doing us. But uh, I think it's, it's good for us to keep our minds on the main point of this entire letter. And the very first week we highlighted this, I think Matt even highlighted it again last week, and it's appropriate for us to do it again. So if you got your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, do one favor for me and flip over to the next page or go to chapter 3, whatever that means for you, and look at verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 is Paul's thesis statement for this entire book. It's good for us to wrap our mind around and to keep in front of us. It reads this, Paul says, if I delay in coming to you, um, you may know that one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. I'm going to back up to 14 so my mind grasps it all. Here we go. I hope to come to you soon, but if I am writing, uh, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So here's is the main idea for us to keep our minds around. Coming from these verses, um, is stated that the church, big C church, God's church is the pillar 
for which uh, supports the truth. More specifically saying is, as we stated, that the church is what shows Jesus to the world. So if the church is the pillar, what's on top of the pillar is it is our desire to put Jesus on top of the pillar so that the world may see and know Jesus through what the church is doing. Here in uh, verse 15 of chapter 3, we're able to see that um, what we said over the past few weeks is that what uh, the church believes determines how the church behaves, which determine who the church beholds. Now, I realize that this is written like a catchphrase. It's not written in necessarily everyday language that we would use with one another. But if we're able to see through this catchphrase and understand what what is being said in this, we're able to grasp what God is doing throughout this entire book in the New Testament. So moving forward for us, um, I have a few questions for you. These are rhetorical questions. You guys know what rhetorical means? You don't have to answer out loud but I guarantee some of you will, but it's okay. Um, just what we do, right, by nature. So if you're a follower of Jesus, let's think about these questions together. Number one, who is the gospel for? If you've been har- around Harvest long enough, I hope that we can begin at least to start answering that question in a truthful way. Who is the gospel for? We start going down the path of, it's for sinners, right? The gospel is for every single one of us because we are all sinners in need of his grace. There is not one person in this room that does not need to hear the gospel continuously in our lives. Whether you're saved or not saved, the gospel is for all people, all sinners, all time, everywhere, right? So that's a good understanding. Let's move over to the second question. How does our life reflect this truth to the answer in which we believe? How does our life reflect this truth? If you believe the gospel is for everyone, how is it that everyone is supposed to hear the gospel and believe in Jesus? It's it's only by, I would say, a small portion of people that would stumble alongside the church on their own, someone who's not a follower of Jesus, see a building and say, you know what, I've never been to church before, and I'm going to walk in there to see what church is really all about. And then they come in, and they hear the gospel for the first time, or they come in, they like it, and they stick for a year, and then they give their lives to Jesus, and they are saved. That happens, absolutely. I've heard stories like that. But it is rare that that happens. Most of the time, you and me, as followers of Jesus, we know people, we're in relationship with them, and we invite them to church with us through conversation, through relationships, to say, hey, come check this thing out with me, which I hope becomes the starting point of having further conversations. Or maybe even better yet, you're in relationships with with people in your world, and uh, as you see fit, you talk about your relationship with Jesus, which leads to deeper conversations, and maybe they end up coming to church uh, with you immediately, maybe it's later in the future, or maybe they just give their lives to Jesus right there with you just being in relationship with them. So who's the gospel for? Well, we know it's for all sinners, both you and me and everyone in this entire world. How does our life reflect this truth? If we're going to be honest, I think that many of us actually struggle living out this truth. 
Now, I'll admit, evangelism has every shape and size. There's not one box in which Jesus leads us to talk about him to the world around us. But if we believe that the gospel is for all people, how are people going to come to know him? It's through us living the gospel out loud and being willing to speak when the Holy Spirit says speak. If we don't do that, if we struggle through that, and we choose not to speak the name of Jesus, then the question is, what does the world learn to behold from the church? Maybe it learns that Jesus is just this good old boys club that they're not invited to. Maybe they believe that there aren't good enough for the love of God, that they've done too much for God to overcome. Maybe, maybe they'd learn that that's your thing and it's okay that I do my thing. Maybe they learn that God is unable to cross some boundaries, right? We have beliefs. We have things that Scripture points us to and we can say amen to. What do we want the world to behold through us? We want the world to behold the fact that God has transcended all generations and all people groups and he makes, he desires to make himself known and lavish his everlasting love on them so that they can experience what you and I have experienced with Jesus, right? In the way in which he do this, the behavior that we have will help accomplish this task the world around us. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that evangelism has so many shapes and so many sizes, but God uses an infinite number of ways to make himself known. But if we believe the gospel is for everyone, then our behavior actually matters. And 1 Timothy is going to lead us to say, what does that behavior look like for you and for me as followers of Jesus if we have this desire? Moving forward, uh, what I want us to see is just the, the main point that I want us to, to get today, that what I hope we see and through 1 Timothy today is that God is aligning our hearts with his through prayer. God is aligning our hearts with his through prayer. And what he does in the midst of that is, um, is encouraging, as I have just continued to study and read. God has a desire that he wants us all in on. And it's helpful for us to know in um, the day when uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, when Paul is writing to Timothy, that there are false teachers. There are people that are opposing Paul. And what they are uh, opposing is that they believe that the gospel is for a specific group of people. They do not believe that the gospel is for all. They are um, very, um, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, uh, I apologize. Um, brain kick in. Very, they're very exclusive. Sorry, it's not really a difficult word. It's just, it was there, right? <laughs> They were very exclusive in the way that they think. They believed that the gospel was only for this Jewish sect of people. They were anti-Gentile. They were against some people coming to faith in Jesus. 
Paul doesn't give us a lot of tell uh, a lot of details in First Timothy about these false teachers, but. Um, but piecing together what he says in the book of Acts as well as in the book of Ephesians, uh, we're able to see a lot of, of, of what this false teachers or what these false teachers teach. We have confidence of what God is saying in the text that we're reading this morning moving forward. These Jewish false teachers appear to be dogmatic and they appear, appear to be intolerant, and the preaching of the gospel does not align with the rest of the Bible. They're actually preaching an exclusive anti-Gentile gospel stating that Gentiles will never, ever be a part of God's family. Praise God that that was not true because most of us in this room would not be a part of what we're a part of today if that were true. Amen? Of course, this gets Paul fired up if you know anything about Paul. Paul has a heart for the Gentiles Anytime he went to a new city, he went to the Jewish people first, to the synagogues first. It's all over the book of Acts whenever he's on his missionary journeys. But whenever they rejected him, he went to the Gentiles because they wanted to hear this good news. They wanted to hear this gospel. And his heart was bleeding for those Gentiles. And it even says it right here in the text that we're focusing on today. As Paul begins to unpack these false teachers and he gives us the brief description in 1 Timothy. If you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says to Timothy, the aim of our charge, so their charge is that, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We have a type of love that can transcend all understandings and that can cross all cultures. And we're going to do it with a good conscience and sincere faith. As he continues to unpack the gospel, we hear a little bit more from Paul as well. If you just jump down to verse uh, 15, Paul talking about himself, laying out the gospel for us. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. He's setting the groundwork, as we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, of saying, this is what the gospel is. These false teachers are being so exclusive and dogmatic in the way that they, that they think. They're actually saying that the gospel can't penetrate some people's hearts. But Paul is saying, that is absolutely not true. Look at me and look at those around me. God, Christ has come into the world to save not Jewish sinners, but sinners of who I am the worst. God desires to align our hearts with his. Let's just see our text again today, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may be led, through, uh, that we may be led a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed to preach, uh, sorry, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher for the Gentiles in faith and in truth. 
Our hearts become aligned with God when, when we see God's universal offer of salvation to all people. Now, I have to take a step aside and say, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that um, God's salvation is universal, right? I think Paul clearly lays this out even in the text that we just read, as well as all throughout the book, as well as throughout all of his other books. But what he does want us to see is that God's offer of salvation is not for a, a specific group of people. It is actually for all people. God desires men and women to come to the understanding and to the knowledge of who he is. Let's look at verse 1 together again. At the very end of verse 1, it says that all of these prayers be made for all people. Verse 4, who desires them to be saved and come to a, uh, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Verse 6, who God gave as a ransom, Christ Jesus, who God gave as a ransom for all. That is the focus of this text here, is that what Paul really wants us to see. Paul's opponent in this text, the people he is speaking against, had this anti-view um, that non-Jewish people could not come to this knowledge. But what Paul is saying, uh, really back even in chapter 1, verse 9, is that these are the people that God actually came to save. If you look in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, I've come to save. God has come to save the lawless and the disobedient. God has come to save the ungodly, and he's come to save the sinner. God has come to save the unholy and the profane. God has come to save all those who strike their fathers and their mothers. They, God has come to save murderers, the sexually immoral, the men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, um, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory that, is blessed, uh, that the blessed God has with which I have been entrusted. So who has God come to save? Every single one of us, if we surrender our lives to him. I think there are many people who try to use this text in a wrong way to say that um, uh, this speaks against God's sovereignty in, in his election. This text doesn't even talk about the election of God. This text is about something totally different within the context of what Paul is saying. I would love to have that conversation of how that fits with inside the, uh, the fold of Scripture and how this text relates to that, but I think focusing on that this morning would actually do injustice to what God is actually saying in 1 Timothy. So um, I, I hope that, that we could just move forward and know that this is exactly what God is trying to say to us this morning, is that his offer, he has a universal offer for all people to be saved. Looking again, chapter 2, verse 1, for all of them I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, that this is good and is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth. God is offering salvation 
to all. It's not limited to a people group. Anyone that we know, anyone that we know, God has the ability to save. I don't think that we would ever outright say, as a church in Hillsboro in 2018, I don't think we would outright say that someone does, is not belonging in here because of who they are. I don't think that's majority of our hearts in this room, if not every single one of our hearts in this room, because we know who the gospel is for. But there's one of two thoughts here. I do think we have the ability to be exclusive in the way that we think about the gospel. Again, one of two thoughts. Some of us may feel that we are at war with a specific type of person or a specific type of people. And a lot of them are laid out there in chapter one that we just read, whether it be, um, whether it be those who are uh, lawless or disobedient, maybe we're at war with them, or the ungodly or the sinners, we're at war with them. For those who strike their mothers and fathers, we're at war with them. Those people who are actively doing these things, they are not welcome. They do not belong in here because that is just, that's just too much. It's too far, Right? but we're not at war with the type of person. And Matt so beautifully said in our first, ser- our first sermon within this series is that we are not at war with people. We're actually at war with Satan who wants to drive people away from the living God. So getting our understanding of who God is and what he is capable of doing in saving the worst of sinners, even someone like Paul, it reshapes our thinking, it reshapes our understanding of how we see people around us. Secondly, we may believe that the gospel is for all people, but maybe we're unwilling to actually talk about Jesus, or we're uncomfortable with talking about Jesus to people around us. I think it's important for us to see how do we do that? How do we engage with God on what he is doing in people's lives around the world? How can God grow me from being where I am today to being to a place where maybe I am more comfortable with representing him to the world around us? And I think that this is a part of what Paul seeks to answer as well. I think the argument that that he is making, the belief that we should have is that salvation is for all, but the stage that he is building with on how we should approach this truth is actually prayer. Which leads us to the second point. Sorry. We align our hearts with God's desire by, uh, that God's desire by praying for salvation for all people. One of our calls is not to stand on the street corner and be yelling Bible verses that we have to people we have no relationship with to make us feel uncomfortable, to make them feel uncomfortable. It's a strategy, sure. Is it a helpful one? Uh, I'm going to argue not, right? I don't think that this is what Paul is actually calling us to do in evangelism, that we must go do this thing. Paul's not even saying to us that we have to share the gospel, the, uh, the spiritual laws with, every, with five people throughout the year. This is not the directive that Paul is giving us either. Is that a good thing to aim for? Sure, absolutely, but that's not what Paul is saying to us here. Remember, 
Prayer is the stage that Paul is building this case of his teaching that salvation, of, of salvation on. Remember my question at the very beginning that who is the gospel for? The gospel is for all people. How does our life reflect that belief? It reflects that belief. Paul's encouraging us through prayer. It starts with praying for people around us. If we believe that the gospel is to make God known to the world and that God desires to make himself known, then he is leading us. Our behavior must begin in prayer. A prayer that can lead to a million different scenarios with how someone comes to know Jesus. There's a couple of things I want us to see within, within inside this challenge um, is that uh, we're able to see that, first of all, prayer is for all people, uh, wait, prayer for all people is deeper than just a general sweeping of prayer. We could see something like this that, uh, that Paul says, pray for all people. So we can have a three and a half second prayer time where we accomplish this task, Right? We could sit in the morning and say, okay, God, I'm praying for all people in the entire world, and I do desire for them to come to know you, and your heart could be in the exact right place. But what Paul is driving us to is something a lot more specific in the way that we pray for people. We can use Jesus as the example. Do you remember the night before Jesus was crucified that he spent all night praying we don't know how many hours that was, but if it's my night, then it's eight hours, right? Well, let's take that back. I'll probably sleep about six. But um, six to eight hours worth of prayer that Jesus was on his face before his father, begging his disciples to stay awake and continue to pray in the very same way. We're using his example, and, God, and Jesus isn't just praying for a sweeping of general things to happen. I can only imagine that the prayers that Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father are extremely specific. So when we're praying for all people, we have specific prayers. Prayers for people we know, by name, by situations that we are aware of, for people who are followers of Jesus, who are going through difficult times, for people who are followers of Jesus that aren't going through difficult times, for people we know that don't know Jesus, but we hope comes to know this saving truth, we pray for all scopes of people that we are in relationship with. And we also pray for people we don't know. This is where things get difficult, right? I mean, Paul even used the example here that pray for kings and for all those who are in high positions. Pray for people that you don't have a relationship with. Maybe you know their name, what kind of things can you be praying for? And you know, things get difficult when you start praying for people you don't know because the specifics get really hard, right? In the impact you have on that person to be able to help change come or to see change, it, it's not there at all, right? So if I pray for, um, um, oh my gosh, our, our governor, Kate Brown, sorry, it was there in my, in my head. If I pray for Kate Brown, I'm not, I don't have any kind of relationship with her, so I can't follow up with her. So whenever I sit down to pray for her in her position and what she does, what kind of things can I come up with? It, it gets difficult. But I think that's some of the things that Paul is pushing us to be in prayer for, for all people, all things, people we know, people we don't know, because it matters, spending time in that. 
Let's get real for a second. How do we pray? How do we do that? I'll talk more a, a little bit about this as we're wrapping up. But for me, this is what this has looked like. I have not been a strong prayer in my life. I wish that that was someone who could sit down for 20, 30, 50 minutes and just interact with God. I've actually desired that for a lot of my life, and it has been really difficult. I don't know if you've had the, the experiences that sometimes whenever you sit down to pray, you, you last for about three and a half minutes, and then you nod off, right? That's been my experience. And then I feel st- extremely guilty, right, because I'm talking to God, and then I'm nodding off. How in the world can I stay in God? Do I not, do I not respect God that much that I just can't stay awake? Now I'm feeling like a disciple, right? You know what my response typically is? Instead of fighting for it, I choose to pray less. Is that anybody else's experience? So something that's been extremely helpful for me is to think about the people who are closest in my life. Let's start praying there. I'm married, and I have an amazing wife. I can pray for her. I can pray for specifics. I can pray for my kids. I've spent many years coming before God and begging God for my kids' lives. God, please come in and just save my kids. And I am proud to be able to be where I am now that I've seen one of my children be baptized and the other two are actually pursuing Jesus in uh, something that is in a way that is very real to them. I cannot be more excited about what God is doing in their lives because I've just spent time and I've fought on how to pray for specific people in my life. And that's changed and developed to say, now how do I pray for people that aren't directly connected to my life? I think about them in concentric circles. My wife overlaps with my kids. My kids overlap with their schools. The school overlaps with the gym. There is a connection there because after they get home from school, then I I go to the gym when I want to. And then um, that's how it works in my mind to keep things moving forward. Prayer must be a deeper thing than just a general sweeping, praying for all people. So, more than just praying for all people, the different types of prayer that are included inside of this text. So the main point of this text is not prayer. We've already seen the main point of it, but Paul does make mention of specific things about prayer. He says, I urge you to pray with supplication. I urge you to pray with prayers. I urge you to pray with intercessions and with thanksgiving. What he's calling us to is to pray with supplication, meaning that um, make statements of need. Beg for other people on their behalf to God. Beg for their lives. As I sat with my kids and I've said, God, come and just save my children. I prayed that whenever they weren't in the room and I prayed that over them as they were going to sleep. God, they need you. And I want to be their mediator right now to say, they don't know how to pray that prayer whenever they're four, five, six years old, but I'm praying it on their behalf with supplication with the begging of God to come intervene and do something that is bigger than me. Beyond supplication, he uses a general term for prayers of just saying, have an attitude of prayer. You could come at it with this idea of pray without ceasing, right? That you and me 
We're supposed to come to God frequently and often about these things. That our mind first goes to how we can lift those around us up, right? Also, he even talks about intercession. Intercession meaning making requests for others. More than just talk about their needs, make requests for them. Intercede for them. Think of Jesus on the cross. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is stepping in their place. And we also need to be praying for others as well. And lastly, having a spirit and a mind and a prayer towards thankfulness. Thankfulness for answered prayers. I think some of us in this room are guilty for praying for huge things, which is great. We need to continue to pray for huge things. The problem is sometimes whenever we don't see the huge answer, our question then becomes, where are you, God? And God said, I'm here. I've answered this in these small ways, and we're moving somewhere together. So to be able to get our eyes on specifics and God revealing how he's making progression steps forward and for us to be able to take a step back and say, thank you, God, for continuing to move inside these ways as we're praying for people around us to come to know him. Man, this does huge things. This brings peace and quiet in our hearts and in our lives. This leads to godliness and being dignified in every way. This is good for other people as we pray for them. This is good for us in our relationship with Jesus. This is pleasing in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved. But to get what God is saying through Paul here, we have to be honest with ourselves. How good are we at this? At seeing people around us, having a burden for them and praying for them. I have to say I fail more times than not. But I also have to stay, I say I stand on this stage not feeling like a failure, but feeling encouraged that even though I can think about specific situations where I would have had more impact, wanting more impact in someone's life. I don't look at that as a failure to where I stop. I use that as an encouragement. Thank you, God, for showing that to me, for convicting my heart on where I should be more engaged, and I want to move forward in either their lives or other people's lives in different ways. <laughs> Personal story, last night I was hanging out at a friend's house. Um, it's a friend of my wife's and, and her family. Um, we've known each other for a very long time. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit of detail to you that uh, you got to keep to yourself. You can't talk to my wife about this. But um, my wife and this, um, this lady, their first date together was to a Justin Bieber concert. Don't judge. It just, it's true, and it's just fact. Uh, these are the type of friends that they are, right? She's a non-follower of Jesus. They worked, so Stacey and uh, this, uh, this girl, Crystal, worked for years together. And I found myself praying for them often because I saw the relationship with, uh, that Crystal was having with Stacy. But then, as time drifted, stopped praying. It became one of those futile type prayers, like, God, are you really ever going to do anything here? Like, I just, I don't feel like there's any progression or movement. This is my own stuff, right, where I just kind of step back, kind of reflected over this, and that's what I've seen in my heart and in my life with this relationship. But then last night, we're having dinner at their house, and 
Crystal and her daughter are talking about how they're going to a church and they're beginning to understand who Jesus is. And I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, God, thank you so much for being able to reveal yourself to this person. And as she's sharing her story, she's sharing what kind of impact Stacey and I have had in her life, but how other people have also come alongside them and asked them very pointed questions about who Jesus is. And I can choose to be a little bit... Um, jealous, if you will, because maybe I should have been that person to be a little bit more bold in their lives. God, I'm so sorry for not doing that. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe I should have been more bold, but I'm so thankful that God uses all people to come around to make this happen inside of Crystal's life to where she's beginning to understand who Jesus is. So moving forward, I can only make myself more available and Stacey seemed to make herself more available to lead her to know Jesus through his word. So, be honest, prayer a lot of times is not our strong suit. It's not our primary. It may not even be our secondary or third or fourth nature, but God calls us to prayer. So my encouragement for us this morning as we hear this, our challenge for this week moving forward, hopefully covering some spans of where we are at in our relationship with Jesus. For those of us this morning who've never really developed a, a healthy and or consistent prayer life, here's my encouragement. Don't shoot for the moons right out the gate so that if you fail, you feel like a failure and you don't ever do it again. Small increments in growing in how we talk to Jesus. My encouragement is to pick three mornings or three times this week that work really well for you to take five minutes. You don't need a six-hour prayer time your first time going at it, right? But if you can take five minutes to say, I'm going to attempt to do this and to pray and to begin talking to God and be praying in potentially these concentric circles that I was talking about that help me stay engaged with what I'm saying, that I'm not just shooting from the hip with things that just don't really aren't connected and don't make sense that cause me to fall asleep whenever I'm praying, but give me reason and purpose in praying. Try it. Not seven days this week, because when you miss one, you feel like a failure, right? But three days this week, just begin at a healthy place. If we're someone who has more of a regular prayer life. My encouragement for us is that, is that we pray by name for those people around us who need to understand the deep truths of the gospel and begin to ask God for the big things. Maybe these are the people that are listed in this list that Paul gives in the, in the first chapter or maybe they're murderers, or maybe they're liars, or maybe they're, they have all of these, these big sins that we can look at and say, I don't know if God can really intervene in their lives. Man, ask God for God-sized things, and do it by name, with specific details, that they would come to know the truth of Jesus. And lastly, it's a warning. It's a positive warning, but it's still a warning, that if you pray for people in that way, God will use you to speak his truth. What are we going to say? If we're praying, how do we reflect Jesus? How do we represent him well? What if they ask me questions I don't know the answers to? I hope this last warning does not deter you from steps one and two, but it's encouragement to say, when we're aligned with God, when we're aligned with his Holy Spirit, 
When we're asking Jesus to come in and show us people to be praying for, then he does and we start praying for them. Who, is, uh, who are we to say that God cannot give us the words to say in those moments? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is real and he is powerful. And he uses things in us that we don't even think that we have. And man, when we enter into those moments and we take a step back, God is glorified. Thank you, God, for using me in a way that I had no clue that you could. So he's driving us to a behavior. Paul is driving us to a behavior of prayer. Praying for people to come to know him because uh, we know that God has the ability and he offers salvation to all people. I want to end with just reading the, the last part of this passage of Scripture. This is what he is leading people towards. He says, there is, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This is the end into which we pray for. Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world as a ransom for all who surrender to him. And that's good news for you and for me as we continue to pursue our relationship with Jesus and pray for those to come to know him around us. I want to invite the worship team on stage and I want to um, pray for us as we just continue to worship Jesus through song. God, thank you so much for, for your writings. Thank you so much for scripture that points us and directs us to see you. God, thank you for revealing yourself from the first book to the last book. Thank you for allowing scripture to be so deep in a sense that we will never <clears throat> be full of who you are whenever we are on the face of this earth. But also, thank you so much for being so simple that we can understand your salvation and your grace by just a simple story a story that we're pointing to during this Advent season, the coming of your son Jesus and what that meant for us. God, meet us where we are and encourage us and lead us to have a deeper relationship with you, which in turn causes us to be invested in people's lives around us, which allows us to um, behave in a way that reflects your son, which then in turns beholds your glory to the world to say, you desire all people to come to know you. It's your heart. Lead us faithfully. And may we see you in a way that is bigger than ourselves. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Jordan just read a moment ago,